By the way, glad you are here today. Uh, Indeed, happy Mother's Day to those of you um, who are celebrating Mother's Day. A little bit of background, a little bit of history. In, uh, In 1904, there was a fellow, his name was Mr. Bloom, interestingly enough, and he was the head of the Union of Gardeners and Greenhouse Workers. And he was inspired by the commercial success of Valentine's Day that the chocolate and greeting card industry had created. And so he got this idea in 1907. He said, it's May. I've got all these extra flowers, my greenhouse workers that were doing okay. But what if we had a special holiday to get rid of all these extra flowers? And so in, uh, in 1904, Mr. Bloom and the Union of Gardeners and Greenhouse Growers started Mother's Day. The next year, inspired by that, his brother-in-law, Mr. Briquette, who happened to be the president of the Grill and Charcoal Association, began Father's Day. And so, th- <laughs> I'm sorry, that's, that's all just lies. Uh, none, of that's, none of that's actually true. Um, that seemed funnier to me in preparation than it did just now when I said it to you. Um, <laughs> the first Mother's Day, in all truthfulness, because it should be truth coming from, <laughs> from my voice this morning. The first Mother's Day, it actually started in 1907. Um, Mother's Day was started really, or at least it's recognized as having been started by a lady named Anna Jarvis. Anna Jarvis was from Philadelphia, and uh, she wanted to honor her mother. And I don't know the story of her family. I don't, I don't know, honestly, if her mother was still living or if her mother had passed, but Anna Jarvis uh, wanted to honor her mother, and so Anna Jarvis set up and planned a worship service at her mother's home church in West Virginia. That was in 1907, what, 114 years ago. And within five years, this idea had just caught on. I don't know how publicity got out back in the day. But um, within five years, most of the states in the United States had set that second Sunday in May as mother, or something like that as Mother's Day, a day to, to honor moms. Now, I thought it was really interesting that Anna Jarvis wanted to honor her mother. And so what did she do? She planned a worship service. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Are there any of you mothers, I know you get cards and candy, and maybe you'll get your car washed, Tanya, this afternoon. I I don't know. That'd be pretty cool. That's a long driveway. There can be a lot of puddles there. Um, I don't know how your kids are celebrating you, but, but mothers, would it make you feel good if you knew that when your kids wanted to celebrate, they just put together a worship service? I mean, that sounds pretty cool to me. If if when I'm old and gray and Bree says, how can I honor dad? If the first thing that she thinks of is a worship service, I've done my job right? That, that works for me. So I, I want to just give kudos, way to go, Anna Jarvis, for starting something good. But let's acknowledge today that Mother's Day, like so many other simple things, can be a mixed bag, right? Um, it sounds pretty simple. Hey, let's honor mom. Anna Jarvis said, let's have a worship service. We'll have a worship service at mom's home church. It'll be a great thing. And, and how many of you, on the face of it, you, you might look at it and say, hey, Mother's Day, let's just honor moms. That's a simple thing. Well, for some of you, it is. For some of us, we, we're blessed with just great moms, and, and yeah, let, let's honor them. But let's just be honest, living in the world where we live, living in the fallen world where we live, for some of us, Mother's Day is not as exciting. And I know for those of you who just live a charmed life, this is hard to imagine, but I mean, there are some people who don't know their moms. And so it's hard to get super excited. There are some people whose moms, they wish they didn't know. Because for all of us who might say that we have a godly mom, and, and I do, and, and for all of us who might say that our, our mothers you know, trained us well in the way to live, there are others of us in this room that say, my mom wasn't a very good mom. Or maybe 
She's my mother, but she's not my mom. Right? It's a mixed bag. I know there were a number of years where for us, Mother's Day was about the hardest day of the year because of what was not in our lives. And for some of you, there, there are different things that we go through, right? Now, for some of us, it's just, boy, I, I wish the kids were closer. And so I feel lonely on Mother's Day. For some of us, it's just, boy, I wish mom were closer. And so for some of us, you're remembering your mom. And while that can be a good thing, there's a feeling of loss. There is, there is, even in these most simple things, like, hey, let's celebrate the moms. There is complexity. There is messiness. There is brokenness that we walk through sometimes because we live in a world that is complex and messy and broken. And that gets tiresome. I mean, I know, I know there are some of you in this room right now that are saying, hey, I'm a mom, and this day doesn't seem to be about me at all. Because some of you are stuck in that in-between spot where, where you're a mom, but your mom is still alive too. And so it's all about, like, some of you moms are cooking today because it's Mother's Day. And you're saying, wait, what? How did, what? The world is not fair. Right? The, the world is not fair. There's a lot of tough stuff that's going on. And, you know, God knows this. Today we're going to be studying Hebrews chapter 12. We've been studying Hebrews for the last couple of months, and today we just happen to end up here. This is our spot. And so um, here in Hebrews, we are going to see the writer of Hebrews, as inspired by God, is telling the people who are reading the letter, and today that's us, telling the people to press on. Life is hard, even for believers, even for Christians, even for people who seem to be doing all the right things. Life is difficult. Life is messy. It sounds easy to say, just live for God. Not easy. It sounds easy to say, just follow your faith. Make straight paths for your feet. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. That sounds easy. And, and listen, with God's help, this can be done. But it is not always simple. It's not always just clean cut and, and something that we fall into. And so today, we're going to see in Hebrews that there are some encouragements, there are some challenges that come from this writing. Because we can hold on, because we can press on, but we are going to be discouraged from time to time. So that's where we're going. That's, that's where this is all headed today. And, and so last week, <laughs> Gerald mentioned in the first service, uh, last week we started, uh, I started in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, and I intended to cover most of Hebrews chapter 12 last week. We covered three verses. Don't know how that happens. Time just kind of slips away when you're standing up here. I don't know what it's like to sit there. I suspect it grinds on and on and on. But up here, time goes quickly. And so just to remember where we're at, because we're really going to get warmed up when we hit Hebrews 12, verses 14, 15, and 16. But let's remember that these verses, none of them just come out of, or come, come out of thin air. None of these stand alone. They're all part of a bigger letter. Hebrews is in the Bible. So we have to understand a bit of the Bible to know where Hebrews is coming from. And Hebrews chapter 12 is chapter 12. There's 11 chapters before it. So we don't want to come into this blind. Remember, all of Hebrews has been telling us, and even if you weren't here at all between January 1st and now, what we've been seeing Hebrews tell us is that Jesus Christ is superior to every other thing that's ever been. And the promises of God are far superior to any other thing that we might look forward to. And so then all through Hebrews, it talks about why Jesus is so good, why God is so powerful, how much God loves us, and how reliable his promises are. That's the book of Hebrews. Today, we find ourselves in Hebrews 12. Last week, I talked about how in the first three verses of Hebrews 12, we're told to fix our eyes on Jesus, run our race for him, don't be discouraged, don't be let down. 
In Hebrews 12, 4, it says, and this is writing to believers, right? This is writing to a lot of people who already believe in Jesus. There are some people, these Hebrews who are being addressed, there are some of them that are still on the fence. They've kind of heard about this Jesus guy, but they're not sure yet if that really means anything for their life. But in Hebrews 12, the writer says, look, you believers, you Hebrews, in your struggle against sin, in other words, in, in your desiring to live for God, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. I remember one time when my brother was really little, probably four or five years old. I was seven years older than he was, and we were at the pool somewhere. And I remember where it is, but I'm not going to give it away just in case any of you know this place too. But we were there, and my brother tripped and skinned his knee. And he kind of, he was obviously hurting. And I looked at it. I didn't know I was being overheard, but I looked at it. I said, you're not bleeding. You're fine. Just keep going. And the lady who owned the pool said, ooh, that's cold. And I said, ah, it's just being a big brother, isn't it? And just rub some dirt on it. And you'll be fine. Just walk it off. That's kind of what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. Look, you Christians, you think you have it hard. You think life is tough. You think you're being discouraged and distracted. In your struggle against sin, you haven't yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In other words, you can keep going. That may sound cold. It may sound coarse. And remember, all of Hebrews has been telling people that nothing good happens by our own power. All this good stuff only happens because of what Jesus Christ has done. All of our abilities only are here because God has allowed us to do these things because God gives us strength. So this isn't, this isn't Hebrews telling us, look, if everybody's just a nice little good little boy and girl, you'll all be fine and all go to heaven. No, that's not what we're talking about here. We don't earn our way into God's favor. We don't do lots of good stuff to tip the scale so that it outweighs our bad. That's not how it works with God. God says, look, I want you to love me. I want you to be full-hearted. I want you to follow after me, and I want you to believe in my son, Jesus Christ, because that's life. Okay, that's what we're talking about here. In Hebrews 12, it says, you can press on because of what Christ has done, because you've got the Holy Spirit within you. You have power you didn't have before. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In effect, he says, believers, suck it up, move on. I guess I said that really loud, didn't I? It's because I'm the big brother. These are the things I like to say. When the things I like to say align with what is written down in Scripture, oh, that's exciting. But the writer of Hebrews is much wiser than I am. He moves on. It says in verse 5, Look, you've completely forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. And in Hebrews 12, verse 7, it says that God speaking now to believers, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. It says in Hebrews 12, 11, No discipline seems pleasant at the time. It seems painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So here in Hebrews 12, there's this continuous focus. Focus on God. Even when things hurt, even when things seem difficult, when things are not lining up, when it seems like, when it seems like God's far away, when it seems like God doesn't care, God, why could you do this to me? The writer of Hebrews says, well, look at that as discipline. Nobody likes to be disciplined. But when you're disciplined well, you grow, you get stronger, even though it hurts in the moment. That's the message here of the first couple of verses of Hebrews 12. It says, therefore, verse 12, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. That's more big brother language the way I hear it. Don't be such a wimp. Strengthen your arms and your knees. You don't have to be taken out. You don't have to be absolutely hopeless and helpless. You have Jesus Christ. Verse 13, make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. And the readers of Hebrews, these first Hebrews who 2,000 years ago who would have heard this letter, they would have understood all this language because it comes right out of the Old Testament. 
I mean, Gerald read for us today from Proverbs 4. says, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Don't turn to the right or left. Keep your foot from evil. Well, that sounds an awful lot like Hebrews 12, 13, doesn't it? Make level paths for your feet. Yeah, the writer of Hebrews is quoting Old Testament stuff because he knew that these people needed to hear that. The readers of Hebrews would have also been familiar with language from Isaiah 33. Isaiah 33, written hundreds of years before Jesus came, 2,600 years ago. Isaiah 35 says, Strengthen your feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. This is people who are believing in God, but Jesus hadn't even come yet. And Isaiah spoke to them and said, Look, people, people of God, strengthen your feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong and do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Your God is for you. This is the message that's been brought from from the people of God for hundreds of years, thousands of years, and we read it today in Hebrews chapter 12. And before I move on, I just want to comment on that uh, that last song that we sang. That's, uh, That's a little bit of an odd song to sing sometimes in a worship setting. I don't know if you were thinking about the words. It's a beautiful melody. And, and the blessing in there, it's kind of a benediction, a good word. The blessing is one that has been long, long practiced by many people in Christendom, but it's been put into song here lately in a very catchy way. I don't know if you noticed, that song is all about God, and it's all about what God is doing, but really it's a blessing from one person to another. Did you pay attention to that? The words were this, may God's presence go before you. So this is like a person, maybe it's a preacher or a pastor or a priest. Maybe it's just a friend in the bench beside you. One person saying to another, may God's presence go before you, behind you and beside you, all around you and within you. He is with you. He is with you. Now the writer of Hebrews is working hard to encourage us readers to press on with God. And some of you are in a spot where people need your encouragement as well. You know this. You know there are people in your lives. You moms, it's Mother's Day. Is there anybody in your family, in your home, in your world that needs your encouragement? Yeah, you know this. We get a sense of that when people are looking for that kind of word from us. Fathers, it's the same for you. Your children, especially your boys, but your sons and daughters, they need to hear your encouragement. Husbands, your wives need to hear from you. Wives, your husbands need to hear from you. And those of you who are sitting here saying, I don't have a husband, I don't have a wife, I don't have kids, I I no longer have my parents. You know how much it means to be encouraged. You know the need we have for this. We say, yes, yes, let's encourage each other. But we often find ourselves at a loss for words. If you're at a loss for words, read this song, The Blessing. Just look the lyrics up online and sing these words. Maybe it's better for some of you to just speak these words to each other. You want to encourage somebody? Let them know that in the morning and in the evening, in your coming and in your going, in your weeping and rejoicing, God is for you. You don't know how to encourage somebody? There you go. There you, I, I mean, you can read that right there. That's why we say all these amens. Amen, amen, amen. Let it be. May it be so. The song went on. If you remember the lyrics... May his presence go before you and behind you and beside you, all around you and within you. He is with you. He is with you. There's this encouragement that we need to press on because life with God is difficult. 
Life with God, we've got promises. We know that God is coming through. We've got strength. We know that we can look back and see how God has guided us. But boy, in the moment, it can feel like everything's falling apart. We need to be encouragers. Worship team, thank you for giving us the words. But with all this in mind as a backdrop, Hebrews now gives instructions to its readers, and I think these are powerful instructions for us today, starting in verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 12. We, we see here the writer of Hebrews challenging us in the way that we live. Again, not so that we can earn some kind of gold star with God, but because we know that we follow God and now we get to live this way. It is our opportunity to live for the Lord. It says, make every effort. And again, remember, this is speaking primarily to people who are in a situation where they're hearing about Jesus. Many believe in Jesus. Some are still not sure, but they have no excuses. They, they have heard the message all you people make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Make every effort. Now, certainly we don't do this alone. We do this with each other. We encourage each other. And we do this with God's spirit within us. For all of us who have, who have allowed Jesus to be our savior, we say, God, I believe in you. Jesus, I want to follow you. When we give our lives to him, he gives his spirit to us and we can do things that we never could do before. We can press on through situations that would have broken us before. And so we do have strength. We do have ability. We have power from God. And so the writer is saying, use it. Make every effort to live at peace. And if it just said to live at peace, we'd say, that sounds nice. Because peace is better than not peace, right? Peace is better than war. Harmony is better than conflict. But, but believers, note what it says in your Bible. There are two more words, and these cause all kinds of conundrums for us. Make every effort to live in peace with whom? With everyone. You believers, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. We're not called to be passive. We're called to be peaceful. There's a difference. We don't just sit back and, and watch it all burn. Now I'm at peace. No conflict here. We don't just retreat to the garage or run off to work or, or, or do whatever that thing is, just put in the AirPods and just la, 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 I'm at peace. No, that, that's garbage. That's retreat. We're called to make every effort to live in peace, and that calls for engagement. Oh, the annoying people in your life and mine. There are people I don't want to see. I don't want to talk to them, and I don't care to spend any more time with them than I need to. But what am I called to do? Make peace with them. You want to live life for God? Make every effort to live at peace with everyone. The writer of Hebrews and the readers of Hebrews, they knew that peace and holiness come only from God. So here is the call to do what we can to live God's love out. This is not just a message. Lest you think that, well, you know, Hebrews is just one of those, I don't really like Hebrews anyway. We'll just kind of sweep that one aside. Well, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Romans, and these Romans, they were under the Roman government. They were under the Roman Empire. They knew what soldiers were. <laughs> the Roman Empire was, was created by warfare. What did the Apostle Paul say to those people in Rome? In Romans 12, he says, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Now, you, you can't ever have everyone agreeing with you, but be careful to try. Do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Peace is a two-way street. There are some people that don't want it, won't have it, and you can't live it with them. 
That's on them. You and I, believers in God, we are called to live in peace. James 3, lest you think that that was just the writer of Hebrews and then maybe the Apostle Paul had a weird day. James 3 says, The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then it's peace-loving, considerate and submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. James 3.18 says, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone to be holy. Now hear the second part of verse 14. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. No one will see the Lord if God's people are not holy. You know, some of you, that one of the biggest hindrances to people coming close to God is Christians. How many of you can tell a story of somebody who puts on a big show going to church? Oh, they're religious people. They're churchy. Those are, those are Bible people, right? And then you see how they live. And you say, if that's what church is, if that's what Christianity is, if that's what the Bible teaches, I want none of that. Yesterday I had another meeting with another solar company. I told some of you last week that, that there, was a, there was a company called my house, out of the blue, cold call. They wanted to sell me solar panels because there's all kinds of stuff happening in the world and it'd be just great for everybody if I had solar panels on my house, especially since I have some roofs that face south and have great exposure. No upfront cost to me. Well, I told them that I wasn't likely to buy anything, but they insisted, well, we'd love to have our guys come out. I said, send your guys out. And so last Friday, uh, Tom and Troy came to my house. Great guys. We had a good conversation. They gave me the pitch. They educated me on what's happening in the world of solar. A lot happening out there. The sun and everything. But I got to talk to them last week. A couple days later, I got another call from another group of solar guys. I don't know how I got on this list. I don't know what is making them call. Maybe they've been calling you. But they called me and they said, uh, Mr. Johnson, do you own your residence? Yes, I do. Do you have a good credit rating? Yes, I do. You know, that's always a sign that they're really giving me something I need if they have to ask those questions. And they said, um, well, you might be eligible for a great solar program, no cost up front. I said, oh, I've heard this pitch before. Oh, no, no, that wasn't us. No, what? And, and I said, look, is, is it? Yeah, yeah. And, and I said, look, I had a couple guys come to my house, and we sat and had a great talk. They got to be salesmen. I got to be a pastor. Win-win. I said, uh, I had these guys come to my house last week. No, 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 not us. Not us. I said, well, I have all their numbers. I know what it costs. I think I know how stuff works. If you want to send your people out to my house to talk to me, I guess you can. I said, but I only have about 10 minutes. I just want to hear numbers. I want to hear what you got going on. If you have a better deal than them, I might think about doing business with you. Oh, Mr. Johnson, we're so excited. Can we come out on Saturday? I said, yes, you can. And so two guys showed up at my house yesterday. Instead of, instead of uh, Tom and Troy, this was Tony and Jeremy. Tony and Jeremy came into my front room yesterday, and, um, and I told them a little bit about uh, the meeting I had the week before, and they said, oh, wow, our, our numbers are very similar. I said, okay. And, uh, and they said, well, are you interested in doing something today? I said, no. I told your dispatcher that I'm not. Okay. Well, can we tell you? I said, no. I, I think I've, I've heard enough. But um, I found out that, that Tony was kind of a, a manager. So he gave me a little bit more of the pitch about why this is happening and the problems in the world. And I said, okay. And uh, we talked for a little bit. It was a good time. 
And uh, after about 10 minutes, I said, well, guys, I think I've heard everything that you've got. Thank you very much. I appreciate this. And, and uh, by this time, I had told them that a couple fellows came out before. They knew that I was comparison shopping and that I maybe wouldn't buy anything at all. So I, I don't want to waste anybody's time. But hey, if they want to come talk to me, that's, that makes my job real easy, doesn't it? And, um, and so the, the sales manager, right, right as he was getting up, he said, uh, he said, what do you sell? <laughs> I didn't know whether to be offended or to be complimented. The salesman said, what do you sell? I said, because I was asking him questions, you know, and I'd like to have a good time making fun of the young kid and all that stuff. Poor college kid. He's just trying to get his way through and didn't know how to work his phone. Never a good sign when the, when the technology salesperson doesn't know how to work his phone. So we were having a, having a good time, giving each other a hard time. And, and the sales manager said, what do you sell? I said, oh, I, I said, I guess I sell Jesus. I said, I'm, I'm a pastor. Oh, okay, okay. And uh, I, said, it's, I said, it's not right that, that I would say that I sell Jesus. It's not as if I possess him. But, but I, I, I said, you know, I, I try to show people the way to Jesus because that's where I think life is at. And then it got really interesting. Again, these guys were in my house for 10, 12, maybe 15 minutes at this point. And so Tony, who's about my dad's age, who's a manager in this company trying to sell solar panels, he said, well, I grew up Catholic. It's interesting the stories that open up suddenly. He said, I grew up Catholic. And so I just decided, okay, this is time for me to just shut my mouth and listen. Here's what he told me. I grew up Catholic. And he said, I, was, I went to Catholic school and, and just had the whole experience. Um, family was very devout. And for, for years growing up, I grew up Catholic. And he said, as I got older, I just realized that there was a lot happening in the church that didn't seem like it was coming from God. It just seemed like it was rules of men. And he said, I have Jesus in my heart. But he said, the church where I grew up had a whole lot of other stuff that seemed like it was just from people. He said, I don't have any time for that, but I have Jesus in my heart. I said, Tony, that's great. I said, if you have Jesus in your heart, that, that's, that's wonderful. I didn't get into theological details or have that kind of a discussion about, well, technically, Jesus is in heaven with God, and that's the whole, we didn't, I didn't go there because I try not to be a jerk. But I said to him, Tony, I think that's awesome that you have Jesus in your heart. I hope you follow him with everything that you do and give your whole life to him. And then I got to talk to Jeremy for just a minute, this, this young college kid who's sitting there who's taking a year off from college because it's all online, and why pay for that? This is, his, this is what he told me. And, and so and he's uh, an international business major. I said, Jeremy, you're getting ready to head out into the world and, and make your mark. Yeah, yeah. I said, do it for relationships. Do it for meaning and do it for God. You're, you're going to have all kinds of opportunities to travel and make money. That's cool if that's what you want to do, but do it for God. And this kid just kind of looked at me and grinned. It was great. I, I got to preach to these guys because they called me. But it was interesting just what I heard from Tony and, and what he said to me was essentially, look, I love God. I've got no time for the church. That's a problem. There are people you know and I know who have this sense that God is who have this sense that Jesus is real, that there's probably some, some good stuff there, but they have a hard time getting close to other Christians. They have a hard time getting close to the church. And, and in a lot of ways, their faith is just kind of leveled out and stalled because they've seen us get too excited about the rules of men and not live with the kind of authenticity that comes with really following God. That's why here in Hebrews 12, 14, it says, make every effort to live in peace and to be holy. This is what it means to say that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. If there is not holiness in your life, it is hard for the people around you 
to see the Lord because often the Lord works through the people around us to get our attention, to draw us close. How many of you can tell a story of a mom or a dad or a teacher or a coach or a Sunday school teacher or a, or a pastor or a preacher who, because of the way that they lived, they inspired you to live for God? How many of you can tell that story? Yes, because you can, they were not God, but you could see God working through them in a way that just makes you say, I want to live like that. Conversely, how many of you have ever seen somebody who said they lived for God and they lived like the devil? And you said, if, if that's the kind of hypocrisy that's happening in, in Christian circles and in churches every Sunday, why am I wasting my time with that? Sometimes the biggest barriers between people growing closer to the Lord are we Christians. This is why there is so much instruction that says, look, if you're going to say you're following God, do it. None of this fake stuff, none of this half-hearted stuff. Do it. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, there's another way to understand that last line. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Well, that's true. I mean, Hebrews has been telling us all the first 11 verses, telling us about how now through Jesus Christ, we have access to God. It says how the, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. And without getting into a lot of history and a lot of old Jewish theology, the, the, the basic setup was that there was a time where people couldn't get close to God unless there was a sacrifice and blood and animals and all that kind of ritual was going through. But now through Jesus Christ, we're told that when we believe in Jesus, we can be close to God. He is not like us. That we just can, can be all casual and, ah, you know, but, but God loves us and allows us to be close to him now. And so we can understand that without holiness, no one will see the Lord because we can't have sin getting, be sin blinds us to God. So holiness is, is kind of one more avenue for us to see him. But you see the point here. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Our witness matters. Your choices matter. Your life matters. Your closeness to God and the closeness of the people around you to the Lord, to the creator of the earth, to the only savior of humanity, your closeness is affected by your conduct. You know this. We know this. Do I need to have 19 different ways to ask you, how are you doing? Because that's the question, isn't it? I mean, if the encouragement is live for God, be holy, pursue peace. I mean, don't we have to ask? It begs the question, doesn't it? Am I doing this? Am I making every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy? Or is that neighbor just out? Don't like them. I've had it. How are you living? How am I? That's the first encouragement here in these chunks of Hebrews. <laughs> There's more. Look at verse 15. We're told to make every effort towards peace and holiness. Now, now we're told, Christians are told, see to it. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See to it. Keep your eyes on this. Watch out for it. Now, what is the setting? Where do we do this? Well, this was written to Hebrews. And so the, you Hebrew people, see to it that this doesn't happen in your context, in your crowd, in your community. Make sure that, that no one falls short of the grace of God. What that means is that there were so many people at this time. Now, now remember, when Hebrews was written, there were people still alive who had seen Jesus. When Hebrews was written, there were people who were still alive that had seen him die. There were people still alive who had seen him walk around and talk on this earth even after he rose from the grave. There were people who had been intimately acquainted with Jesus still alive at this time. And so these Hebrews who are being addressed, again, they've all got a Jewish background. That's why they're called Hebrews. They were Hebrew. 
But many of them are beginning to put their faith in Jesus Christ. Some are still deciding. And so that's the context. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. And let everybody in your circle, all these people who have heard about Jesus, let them fully receive this grace of God. Let them be saved. No more waffling. No more on the fence. No more, well, I don't know. See to it that all the people in your influence get closer to God. Let them be plugged into the Lord. Let them be saved. See to it that people are brought to a full relationship with God. And see to it, if you're going to be Christian, see to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You know what bitterness does in a group of believers, doesn't it? When it's allowed to fester and just go on and on, does it make things happy? How many of you have a family meal today that you're a little nervous about because there's bitterness that's still alive in your family? And maybe it's not your fault. Maybe you've done everything you can do to be at peace and to be holy, but there's somebody, I I know this affects a lot of us. There's somebody in the family that they're still bitter, they're still angry, they won't let it go, and they won't forgive. And what does it do? It defiles the whole meal, doesn't it? It ruins the whole day for everybody. We try not to. And you mothers, you smile and just say, well, thank God that we can all just be together. And everybody else is saying, we hate being all together. Because there's bitterness there. And it's a shame that we chuckle at it, but we laugh because we know it. We see it. It's real. The writer of Hebrews says, look, Christians, don't let that be the case. See to it that that's not there. Deal with stuff. Forgive each other. Ask for forgiveness. And we're told to do this because this is possible. It's possible to live without bitterness because of what Jesus has done. It's difficult. It's a challenge. It is painful. Sometimes it feels like we're being disciplined, but it's possible because of what God is doing in us. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, and no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And then in verse 16, there's kind of this third encouragement, this third command. It says, see that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. See that this is the case. See that no one is sexually immoral. Now, now, some of us have driven ourselves crazy trying to make sure that no one, we've underlined the no one, thinking that it means everyone in the world is now my responsibility. I've got to tell them all not to be sexually immoral. Well, if that's your calling and you're sure that God has commanded you to do that, you do that with whatever tools you have at your disposal. Let me suggest that most of us don't have that kind of platform or influence, nor are people ready to hear it from us. However, if you're the mother in the home, if you're the father in the home, if you're the preacher in the church, if you have influence, if you're the boss of the company, you are able to affect your environment. You have authority in that situation from God. You are the boss. So if you are the boss, see to it that nobody's sexually immoral. How many of you have ever said, I don't care what you do when you're out there in my house? I had a conversation just like that recently. All kinds of crazy things are going out there, but in my house, this is what we're going to do. That's the kind of authority that's being talked about here. See to it that nobody's sexually immoral. As much as it depends on you, you you can't change the world, but you can change parts of it because all of you in Jesus Christ have been given influence and authority over some part of God's kingdom. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. That might seem like an odd thing to connect together. Sexual immorality and the godlessness of Esau. Esau had a brother named Jacob. The story is way back in the book of Genesis. Esau was out hunting one day. He was hungry when he got home. Apparently not a very good hunter that day. 
He came home and his brother had made some delicious smelling stew. And he said, oh, Jacob, my brother, give me some of that stew. And Jacob, the younger brother said, no, you can't have it, not, not for free. And Esau said, oh, I'm starving here. Give me some food. And so Jacob, the younger brother, who was not perfect, but Jacob, the younger brother said, I'll give you some stew if you'll give me your birthright. In other words, give me all the advantages of being the oldest. Let me have the inheritance that dad was going to give you. Let me have all the rights that you would have as the older brother. And in that time, in that culture, there were a lot of extra rights that we older brothers enjoyed. But Esau said, sure, just give me some of that stew. Esau was thinking about the moment. He was thinking about his belly. He was thinking about his appetites. He knew the inheritance that might come from his dad. I mean, he was living it out. He knew what his future could be, but he decided to sell it all for what he wanted right now. You can see how that connects with sexual immorality, right? It doesn't matter what the future is going to be. I don't care about the consequences. I don't care what it's going to cost me later. Just take care of me now. This is why these Hebrews are told that they're supposed to see that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. It says in Hebrews 12, 12, 17, after that meal, as you know, when Esau wanted to inherit his blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. He had given it away. Now he reaped the consequences. He gave away the promise of his father so that in the moment he could have his physical appetites met. I think we can see how this connects to our life now. What are the things that you're struggling with? You want it now. You don't want to wait. You don't want to have to save. You don't want to have to do it right. You just want it right now. What are you willing to pay? We see what people are giving up. They're giving up their holiness. They're giving up their homes, their reputations, their careers, their ministries. So that right now they can have that thing they want. The writer of Hebrews says, stop it. I mean, just don't do that. See to it that sexual immorality and godlessness are not part of your faith. Why? Because Christians, people see us. And what they see in us affects their view of God. Like it or not, fair or not. I mean, do I have to talk to you moms and just tell you how much influence you have on your kids for good or for bad? Dads, it's the same way. You live in homes together. If you're an adult and there's kids there, Adults, these kids are watching you. The writer of Hebrews understood this 2,000 years ago and said, Christians, look, if you're going to talk about it, you better live it. None of this hypocrisy, none of this two-faced stuff, because that just kills people's images of God. And our job is to bring people closer to God. Our job is to show them the Lord. How dare we allow our bad conduct to get in the way of somebody getting close to God? This is the message of Hebrews. Now, a radical summary. Okay, radical as in probably ridiculous and certainly too quick. But verses 18 through 27, the writer of Hebrews gives this picture and says, look, you people, and he's talking to these Hebrews, he said, you people were once people of Mount Sinai. He gives a picture of these two mountains. You came to Mount Sinai. That's where Moses got the Ten Commandments. You couldn't touch it. Even if an animal touched that mountain, they were supposed to be stoned. This was God's holy place. You heard voices. You were afraid. You cowered because the only way to come close to God was through the sacrifice of blood. That was the rule of the Old Testament. The writer of Hebrews says, that's how you used to live. When you, were, when you were fully in your Jewish religion, the writer of Hebrews says, that's not where you are anymore. Your identity now is on this other mountain, this mountain of Zion, this mountain of God's promise. Now you can come before the Lord and God is still holy. God still doesn't think that sin is a good thing, but because of Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven, you can be declared righteous, and you can come close to the Lord. This is the opportunity now that you have in Jesus Christ. 
Everything else is going to shake and fall apart. But God is allowing people to come close to him when we give ourselves and give our lives to Jesus Christ, when we ask Jesus to forgive us and we accept him as our Lord. There's nine verses of scripture read entirely too quickly. If you're having a meal with mom today and mom is open to you reading the Bible, maybe while you're sitting at dinner, you can open up Hebrews chapter 12 and read about these two mountains and just think about which one you're living with. The writer of Hebrews says, you're not Sinai people anymore. You are Zion people now. And therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. That's the final warning here in Hebrews chapter 12. Basically what the writer is saying, look, now all of you have heard about God. All of you have heard about how you can get close to the Lord. The writer of Hebrews says, I've written you 11 chapters before this telling you about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. How following Jesus is better than following the rules. It's better than following any person, any other philosophy. It's better than any other religion. Jesus Christ is supreme. These first 11 verses that the Hebrews were reading, it was proving it to them. And now the writer of Hebrews says, you just have to decide. Are you following after Jesus or are you somewhere else? Life is only in Jesus. God's promises are only in Jesus. And so decide, see to it, verse 25, that you do not refuse him who speaks. See to it that if you're hearing from God, if there's something happening in your heart right now, you don't just walk out of here and say, well, I've got other things to do. I'll think about this later. No, see to it that nobody rejects what God is saying to their heart. Don't refuse God who speaks. God loves us so much. He sent Jesus Christ to be our savior so that we can be close to him. See to it that you don't reject that because there may not be more chances. Do you kind of get what's happening here? I could talk loud a little bit longer, but it's probably time for me to be done. So I'm just going to wrap up with a couple of words from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is a beautiful little blessing. And so here's what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, to the believers there. And here's what I read to you. Thanks be to God, because God gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. These are the words from God. I, I hope this is an encouragement to you. If you know God, you can press on. Even in the midst of deep pain, disappointment, and challenge, you can press on because God is with you. If you don't know God yet, if you're still on the fence and maybe you've heard a little bit, but you're still figuring out if this Jesus thing is for you, if you're still figuring out if these church people are for real or if it's just kind of a, just kind of a show, let me just encourage you to follow in after God hard. Seek him today. The, the Lord says that he will be found by those who seek him. So maybe today your question is just, God, are you real? Would you show me? I think you'd be blown away by how God shows up. See to it that you don't refuse him who speaks. Can we pray together? Thank you, God, for, uh, for loving us. Thank you, God, for giving us your Bible where we can read your words. Thank you that today we could read from Hebrews and see these encouragements, this encouragement to press on in our faith, to pursue peace even when those around us are not, to pursue holiness, 
Thank you, Lord, for this encouragement to pursue purity and righteousness. And thank you, God, for making this all possible by giving us your Holy Spirit so that we can do things that we wouldn't have been able to do on our own. God, as we go from this place today, and and many of us are going to see family, as we go from this place today, help us to live out the faith that we say is real. Help us to be peacemakers. Help us to bless each other. Lord, help us to press on in your service and not just after our own agenda. God, we love you. We just call out for you to make yourself known to all of us here. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. May God's presence go before you. May his favor be upon you. The Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children. May his presence go before you now, behind you, beside you and around you and within you. He is with you. He is with you. Amen. Folks, thanks for, uh, thanks for worshiping with us today. We'll see you next time. God's blessings to you.